everybody, happy new year. Welcome to 2016 on the Mojo Radio Show. If you're a regular, thanks for joining us. If you're a newbie to the show, to the Mojo Radio Show, thank you for hitting the download button. We sure do appreciate it. Nice to have you on board. Brand new year, new guests, new topics to talk about. Everything designed to help you get your mojo working in and out of the workplace. We've got a great show lined up to kick off the new year. Robbo is back from Fiji. He's running the panel. He's all refreshed. Bula, 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 my friend. How you doing? Oh, bula, bula. I may be here in, in, in body, but I'm not sure I'm here in mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, in that set of board shorts you're wearing, you are certainly here in full body, uh, my friend. Yes, indeed. Full-bodied. That's me, just like the coffee. <laughs> how was it? How was, uh, how was Fiji? Oh, I think, look, you know, I've been to Fiji before. I'm sure you've been to Fiji before, mm. and I'm sure most of our Australian listeners have been there. It's just the most relaxing place on the planet, I think. But um, look, I'll be honest, I, I, I haven't been there for about 15 or 20 years, and I went there with obviously a new mindset and probably a bit older, and um, it really, you know, opened my eyes to a lot of things. So, um, so as well as being a relaxing break, it was also a bit of a reminder about some of the things we talk about on the show, to be mm. honest with you. Mm. Did you manage to uh, chill? I did manage to chill. Mm. I did a lot of chilling, very much chilling. I, um, we spent, we were there over Christmas Day, uh, so we had Christmas Day there. Mm. And um, yeah, we actually got invited into the village next door, which is where all the workers live, the local village, by the ace, who's the, the chief of the village. He invited my family and I in to, to come in for a little while. So we were in the village for an hour or so. And I, I tell you what, it was certainly unlike any Australian Christmas Day you'll ever see, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The, uh, the locals set up a, a, a simple little volleyball net on the beach, which was basically just two sticks with a bit of string. And there was a family of about oh, 50 people just playing volleyball on the beach, the hungy going in the, in the sand. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just, just simple things like, you know, the, the, the smiles on the faces of, of 10, 11, 12-year-old kids who opened up their Christmas present and got a $1.50 water pistol but were just over the moon about it. Mm. You know, things like that. Just just simple things getting back to the basics. There is a um, saying that I read once that people's happiness and joy in life is in direct in proportion to the size of their home. So (laughs) the bigger their home, the less their happiness, the smaller their home they live in. Like these little shanties and a piece of fibro is gold to them the happier they are. So uh, it just goes to prove the Fijians have got a lot of things right, I reckon. Absolutely. I I don't doubt that at all. I've... My actual, my new my new screensaver on my phone is actually the the this the photo of a bench that I sat on in Sigatoka Town uh, one morning waiting for the shops to open, and uh, I just sat there pretty much the sun was up but it was just coming up, watching the sun come up over the river and watching the village across the river wake up and people starting to come to work and it was so it was so peaceful just sitting there watching and it just reminded me that you know we we sit in this rat race here in in you know the western world racing from here to there to town and you know you watch people walk along the beach to work or you know husbands and wife walking from the village to work hand in hand and you know just meandering taking their time in the sun and you know just enjoying life it certainly puts a few things in perspective so the the photo is on the uh the screensaver of my phone to remind me when things are starting to get a bit manic that um perhaps it doesn't need to be that way nice Let's uh, let's rip into the show. I am sufficiently caffeinated with my Fish River roast this morning. Um, got this special El Salvador blend rolling through my Giotto. Uh, what do you got nice. for us, mate? Mate, I've speaking of coffee, I've actually got a little piece on coffee. My Sedgway. Uh, mm-hmm. I disco- yeah, I discovered over the holidays. A lady called Professor Claire Collins, who's the I, th- I think she's the head of the Dietitians Association of Australia. Um, my apologies if she's not, but she certainly works for them. She has basically taken a look at all the studies into caffeine that have been going on around the world and combined it all into a one study. So she's basically said, well, you know, there's people investigating this, there's people investigating this. Let's put it all in perspective and see what coffee actually does for you. So she's found basically that it lowers our risk of dying unexpectedly and developing type two diabetes. And it also makes us less likely to develop liver cancer. Um, There are other scientists who are also optimistic at this stage about caffeine's impact on Parkinson's disease, not a cure, but early results are showing that caffeine does have some neuroprotective benefits. 
Um, she did warn, however, that for some people with certain heart conditions, coffee is a no-go. Mm. <laughs> however, the good news uh, for expectant mums is that research has shown that one full-strength shot of barista coffee a day will do bubs no harm. Hmm. So there you go. Happy for mums. So I reckon the message is this, mate. If you're contemplating a New Year's health kick, but coffee is one non-negotiable in your day, it's probably not necessarily something you have to cross off your daily to-do list, mm. I'd say. Well, I've got something for you. In, um, you know, across the world, Nespresso has become this massive, incredible brand doing capsule coffee. Mm. Now, in America, there is a version called a Krug machine, K-E-U-R-I-G, and all my American friends will know exactly how to pronounce that. And when I was in Hawaii, our hotel gave us one to put in our room, and it basically is an espresso, but rather than being knocking out a really good espresso with a crema, it just knocks out basically long blacks, which is how the Americans like it. Now, Now, what's happened is a guy who used to run Organic Avenue, which was a brand, a health brand back in the day. A guy called Doug Evans has reportedly already raised $100 million from investors for mm-hmm. a new brand. He's creating a new category called Juicero. And I'll put a link to this story in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Now, the $100 million is coming from people like Campbell Soups, uh, Google Ventures, uh, Artist Ventures, Thrive Capital, like big names, right? And what this is, is it's basically an espresso machine for juice. So you go into the kitchen and you would have a range of different coloured, I suspect, capsules, which is essentially dehydrated fruit and vegetable type things. You put it in your Nespresso type machine, except it's called a Juicero. You hit the button and out comes a juice. So... This is going to be, I find this a bit fascinating because this will be a whole new category. Yeah. The reason I thought it was interesting for our listeners is no doubt there'll be somebody out there who'll get onto this, start following it and do another version of it. But this is a whole new category and this is going to be a series we're going to do on the Mojo Radio Show of wellness trends that are likely to happen in 2016. So... That's one to follow. I think it's a cracker. I, when I read that, I mm-hmm. thought, you know what? I, now, I don't know about the quality of it. I don't know what will be in the juices to enable them to be put into a capsule. Take all that out of the picture. But the fact that someone has gone, this works for coffee. Nespresso is one of the world's great brands right now that's come, come from nowhere in the last 10-odd years mm. and keeps innovating and, and has got certainly a cachet about it. Um, yeah, so I thought it was interesting. Well, someone's been thinking, haven't they? Well, they have. And to raise $100 million, people at the top of their game can see some value in this. And just one other quick wellness trend that ties Mm. back to an interview we're going to do at the back end of the show today is around wellness and music. And there is a guy who is a, let's call him a producer, a guy called Murray Hideri is using what he calls sound baths, which is a new category in basically relaxation and meditation. And what he's doing is he's putting together kind of a light show with music. And the idea is that it puts you into a deep mental and physical relaxation state. So by combining all this stuff into kind of a dreamy, wafty music and beautiful imagery, It stimulates the parasympathetic autonomic nervous system Mm. um, and decreases your stress response. So this is a new trend that's going on now where we're going to start to have these places we go to and not just float tanks or spa. We're going to go to these places. There's one called mind travel, which Mm. is another version of this, which is where you go in, they put this beautiful, peaceful music on, plus they match the imagery to it. So... We're going to see all these wellness-type trends that are starting to happen. And it's already in New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, um, London, Berlin, Tel Aviv, Istanbul. So I think around the world we're going to see more of these things happening where people get onto them and then create their own versions. But it's all about, I guess it goes back to what you're saying about Fiji, is that we just need to chill and take a moment away from the rat race and the pace of life. 
but we know music has got a lot of magic to it. And if you put beautiful imagery around it in an environment where you're almost forced to stop and disconnect and put down your phone. So there is another very interesting wellness trend for us to follow. So do you reckon it works the other way? You know how some people like a really heavy, deep tissue massage. Do you reckon they put on like Metallica and like play laser shows and stuff like that? <laughs> you couldn't let it go, could you? <laughs> it always goes. It always goes back to Angus Young. <laughs> Angus Young is the Kevin Bacon of the Mojo Radio Show. He, I think he is. I think you're right. Yeah, all roads lead to Angus. Yeah. All roads lead to the lead guitar. The Mojo Radio Show. All right, we've got a uh, we got a special guest this week. We do have a special guest this week, and I'm going to have to do a a proper like introduction uh, to this lady because we have got a scientist on the show today with us. And Dr. Carmel Harrington is a sleep research scientist and an internationally recognised sleep expert. Now, what I loved when I spoke to Carmel before the show was that Carmel researches the true science behind sleep and is going to explain to us the critical link between sleep and or rest health, performance, and creativity. And the nice thing about Carmel is she can draw on the latest sleep research that reveals what's happening to our bodies and our minds. We don't get enough sleep and how it affects our hormones and metabolism, how we think and how we feel. So we're delighted to have Dr. Carmel Harrington on the Mojo Radio Show. Um, Dr. Harrington, welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Now, can we call you Carmel or should we call you Doc? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Carmel is great. Or Doc Carmel. Yeah. Doc Carmel. <laughs> Carmel, um, just to put us all in the picture, can you just give us a quick snapshot of the sort of work you're doing on a day-to-day basis and who you would be working with? Um, look, on a day-to-day basis, I like, my whole work revolves around sleep in one way or another, not just when I go to sleep. But um, I've re- been researching sleep now for about 20 years and my work at the moment is um, I do research at Westmead Children's Hospital looking at um, baby sleep. I also, I've written a few books on sleep. I teach sleep and I work with patients who have trouble sleeping. So that's sort of my, depending on what day you catch me on, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and you've got a lot of science behind what you do as well, haven't you, in in terms of your PhDs and study for the last 20-odd years? Yes, look, I'm fascinated by the science of sleep. And um, sleep medicine is actually a very new area of research. Mm. It's only really been around, um, well, sort of since about the 1960s when we found out that there was all different types, you know, two different types of sleep. But even more so, sleep uh, research has taken off because... um, We've actually started being able to treat obstructive sleep apnea and when we see the improvement, so obstructive sleep apnea is when people um, stop breathing repeatedly during the night Mm. and um, we treat that now with CPAP. We do that with babies as well. Um, But what we've found that when we do treat people and improve their sleep, all sorts of improvements happen. So um, their mental health improves and their physical health improves. So that's given us a really big inroad into understanding more about what sleep achieves, why it is so important, and there's a lot of science now behind that. Tamil, let's, let's start at the end and work backwards. If we don't get a good night's sleep... What is science telling us that happens to us? What's it doing to us? Well, if we don't get a good night's sleep, um, the science is actually clear. Um, we're, we're much more likely to um, develop mental or physical health issues. So if you're um, chronically sleep deprived over a period of 12 to 24 months, you're five times more likely to develop depression. And over a lifetime, I think you're something like six or seven times more likely to develop cognitive decline. So that's your mental health. Um, physical health, we know that if you don't get the right amount of sleep, you're more likely to develop a chronic disease such as type 2 diabetes, obesity or cardiovascular disease. So oh. you have to remember that sleep has been preserved throughout the ages and throughout every animal species. 
it's absolutely essentially important. And if it wasn't, if you think about sleep, we'd be much safer in caveman days sitting quietly, quietly awake in the cave because we'd be aware if there was a marauding tribe or a, you know, a lion about to eat us. But indeed, eight hours of sleep was absolutely essential even in, in you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. So um, if it isn't essential, then it's the biggest mistake the evolutionary process ever made, really. <laughs> and you, you talk about functional MRIs are now giving us the actual visual science of what's going on between lack of sleep and the effect on the brain. What, what are we seeing? Well, what, what has been marvellous is we've known for some time that the brain is very active in rapid eye movement sleep, which is the type of sleep that we do a lot most of our dreaming in. So we've known from the brain waves that... Um, the brain is very active in this stage of sleep. But what do functional MRIs do, which is looking at images of the brain and looking at where the um, hot activity is because that tells you where the, what brain structures are being active. What it allows us to see is exactly what structures are active in rapid eye movement sleep or our dream sleep. And it turns out that our... Um, Center our area of memory, our area of emotion, and our area that's really important for our social interaction that makes us a nice human being, and actually more active in rapid eye movement sleep than when we're mm. awake, which I find mm. quite stunning, actually. And the other important um, thing that neuroscience is telling us, it's, it's telling us so much, it's really such an exciting area, that our prefrontal cortex, which is that part of the front of the brain in our foreheads, and that's the most newly evolved part of our brain. And most um, animals don't have it, just the higher order primates, but humans have the most highly developed prefrontal lobe. This is the area that's responsible for us being smart. It gives us our executive um, function. It allows us to reason abstractly. And in fact, that's deactivated in rapid eye movement sleep. But that's the part of the brain that's really vulnerable to lack of sleep. Mm. So anyone... Most of your listeners would have had a day when they haven't had a great sleep the night before um, and you only have to think of when you have little children and you think you feel very foggy-headed, you can't think yep. clearly. And that's because the front of your brain, this prefrontal cortex, can't fire up. Like it just is really groggy and you see under functional MRIs the activation is very um, diminished compared to the well-slept brain. So that's why we feel foggy-headed, disorganised, mm. unable to make good decisions because this prefrontal cortex is very, very, very much affected by lack of sleep. Mm. Carmel, I've got one for you. Um, obviously, uh, it, uh, sleep affects our brain function. Does it affect us physically as well? I mean, I've, I'm coming from a, a strange position and I've got a bit of a curly one. I, I've, I've been waking up for the last week after about an hour or two's sleep with my right big toe, and this sounds ridiculous, but I swear it's true, my right big toe feeling like it's really, really hot, yet I reach down and, t reach down and touch it and it's cold. And, and I'm just wondering, is that, is, 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 is that connected with sleep? Is there physical changes that are happening in our body while we're sleeping that could be causing something like that, or is that just me being a freak? <laughs> oh, well, if, um, I'm just wondering whether you're waking up from a dream. And you're dreaming that your toe is hot. Well, see, I was wondering that too, but I, I, I was actually, as I was trying to get back off to sleep last night, it was still feeling like that. And, and that's what made me, because I was sort of thinking that too, and that I was just fobbing it off as that. But last night it continued on. I didn't get back to sleep for another 20 minutes, half an hour afterwards, because it was still feeling like that. And it's all right. I'm sorry, I don't mean to do a consult over. Yeah, no, but it's all right. <laughs> yeah, no, please take over, Robbo. Yeah, oh, look, I just thought, I, just, I, I, I honestly just, uh, I mean, my question was more around the physical changes in our body, but obviously this has just freaked me out in the last week. I've sort of been waking up going, whoa, what's going on? Well, we can um, get hot in sleep mm. and one of the ways um, we can dissipate our heat is to take the covers off our feet. Yes. And that's a really good way of dissipating the heat mm. uh, without getting cold elsewhere. Why your hot, uh, big toe as opposed <laughs> to the rest of your body is feeling the heat, I, I can't really say, yeah. except unless you've got an undiagnosed infection <laughs> in, your, yeah, right. in your toe. You only notice at that time of night. Yeah. But yeah, there's sorts of physiological changes when we go to sleep. Mm. So it depends on what stage of sleep you're in. Mm. So we have two stages of sleep. There's non-rapid eye movement sleep and rapid eye movement sleep, which I've spoken about a little bit beforehand. But in non-rapid eye movement sleep, 
we have the special, that very deep sleep. That's called stage three non-rapid eye movement, and it's very, very deep sleep. This is the time in your sleep period that the body repairs and restores all your um, physiological processes. So your heart rate goes right down, your blood pressure goes right down, your central nervous system goes right down. So the body can start restoring and repairing because we need to do that at some stage in our 24-hour period. We also... um, produce this fabulous growth hormone which is really important um, for repairing our body and as we get older we produce less of this young children produce a lot and um, if you're an athlete um, the best thing you can do for your body to build muscle we do that in our sleep is to have lots of slow wave sleep so that's really important um if we don't have sufficient slow-wave sleep, our body will suffer and in all the ways we've spoken about already. In rapid eye movement sleep, while our body is um, our body is actually paralysed in rapid eye movement sleep, in our dream sleep, so apart from our major breathing muscle, which is the diaphragm and um, some eye muscles, all our body is paralysed. Now, there's a really good reason for that because otherwise we'd be at risk of um, acting out our dreams and so we could do some substantial damage yes. if we about our dreams. So that while our body is very inactive and inert, our brain is really, really active. And so if we don't have enough REM sleep, we're much more likely to develop um, cognitive function issues. So we're not going to be remembering as well. And we're also more likely to develop behavioral issues as well because we're yeah. So yes, very, very clear physiological differences between yeah. sleep and wake. And is it important to go to bed well hydrated as as it is important to stay hydrated during the day? Um, look, that's an interesting question. It's really important. Um, some people can drink right up until the moment they go to sleep and sleep through the night because we start producing a hormone that um, stops us producing urine so we don't have to keep getting up through the night. As we get older, we become less effective at doing that. So what I always recommend is make sure that you drink what you need during the day. So... Um, make sure that you have enough fluids. But if you're having trouble and needing to get up during the night, just restrict your evening fluid intake. Mm. And that should improve. Mm. There goes that bottle of red with dinner. <laughs> well, that's the other thing I've got to say. Alcohol is absolutely a no-no. If you want to have a good night's sleep, alcohol is probably the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Uh, so that's really important. Lots of people don't realise that. They think it's a great way to get off to sleep. And indeed, mm. if you have enough alcohol, it will comatose you, Um, about four or five hours afterwards, you'll wake up feeling quite hot and um, restless, Mm. Mm. and it does appear very much with sleep. Carmel, we are doing a job together in February next year with the beautiful Sylvia Demiano from About My Brain at the i4 Live event, and you'll be talking on sleep, and I'll be talking on creativity and innovation. And I just wondered whether... There is a link between these two things in that I've heard you talk about in your dreams you can have irrational thoughts which would take away the barriers and some of the restrictions that we have in our normal day-to-day which is based upon rational thoughts. Is it possible to access that irrational part of your sleep in order to better unlock ideas or innovate in a more creative way where you don't have the restrictions of the rational day? Like, have you, is there any research to say that we can access that stuff that happens during the night where we don't have the restrictions? Oh, yeah, look, it's great. The, the sleeping brain, or indeed the rapid eye movement brain, our dream, dreaming brain, is um, very creative. And there's some lovely work having been done about that. And um, so what the story is, is that, I mentioned earlier that that prefrontal lobe, which is um, responsible for our smarts, uh, is actually deactivated in rapid eye movement sleep. But the interesting thing about that part of the brain is that it's our rational brain. So Mm. that's the part of the brain that tells me I can't get a plan together that involves walking through a wall. I can't get a plan together in my head that I think will work that involves me sitting here one minute and then the next I'm in Paris having a cup of coffee. So 
that what we are able to do, because that part of our brain is deactivated in rapid eye movement sleep, we can make very unusual connections, novel connections, that we can't do in any of our 24-hour, any other time in a 24-hour period. Hmm. And if you, indeed, if you Google discoveries made in sleep, there's loads of them. There's loads of, and in fact, um, I was reading the other day, two of the discoveries actually got the Nobel Prize. So really? actually able to do the most astounding things, uh, come up with really creative and novel thoughts in sleep that we can't do at other times. But if you think about it, so many of your listeners would have experienced the fact that late at night or in the evening, you're grappling with a problem. You can't come to, you can't work out what the issue is or how to solve the problem. You go to sleep and you wake up the next day, you think, oh, that's the answer. Now, most of us have experienced that. And most of us probably have thought, oh, it's because I've rested my brain. But that's Mm. not at all. You've rested your brain, yes, but what you've done in sleep is accessed all the other files or folders in your brain and worked out where all the connections were and you've got the answer in the morning. So I do a lot of work in um, senior high schools and we've got a real problem at the moment with our adolescents, you know, really cutting back on sleep, which is having quite a lot of um, behavioural and mental health issues. And so what I say to them is if you want to be the smartest kid in the exam with the the best ideas, you need to sleep because that's what's going to give you the edge over all your other students. Hmm. Have you personally come across any examples of somebody that you think is a creative person, maybe in the arts or so on, who has a tip or a hack that they use in that process to be able to access the irrational mind in a more rational way? Look, you can't, you can't do that when you're awake, okay? Mm. So you can't mm. actually deactivate, and you don't want to deactivate the part of the mm. brain that makes you smart when you're awake mm. or makes you <laughs> rational because you're likely to be jumping windows and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. The part of the brain is really, really important. But to your point about the creative person, indeed, um, creative people have been shown to have a lot more of that type of sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. Mm. Mm. Um, than the non-creative. And if you want to up your amount of rapid eye movement sleep, what you do in the in the period, the wakeful period before your sleep, is take up something that uh, is mentally challenging. So, dancing is a good thing. Like learning the tango is good, or taking up a musical instrument, trying to learn a foreign language. All of that actually requires a lot of bedding down and consolidation of memory and we do that in rapid eye movement sleep. So so there's Mm. some lovely studies to show that as as we get older, in fact, we get less REM. But, and, and this is often a problem with the elderly, so what we need to do and what has been very effective is you start giving the very, you know, your older people in the community, they start to learn a musical instrument, they start to learn French or Spanish or something and that night, they actually will get more rapid movement sleep, which is really fascinating. Mm. Mm. Carl, you actually touched on something that I was going to ask you. Um, you. You mentioned that elderly people have less REM sleep, um, and that was going to be one of my questions. Was as as we get older, do does our sleep change? Do our sleep patterns change? Oh yes, they do. But it's not unfortunately just the very elderly. Um, as we age, we get less REM and we get less slow wave sleep. Babies actually have around about. In the first six, 12 months of life, they're getting about 50 to 60% of their total sleep time is rapid eye movement. And you've got to remember that the rapid eye movement stage of sleep is when we um, formulate and re- bed down memory. And in the first 12 months of life, we, it's believed that we learn more in that first one year than we do for the rest of our lives, which is why they have to have so much rapid eye movement sleep. As we get older, as I said, we, learn, we tend to learn less. So we don't need that stage of sleep. We also get less um, slow wave sleep or that really, really deep sleep because um, that's the stage of sleep where our body restores and repairs. And our body, unfortunately, as we get older, is less interested in doing that. (laughs) So so, um, again, if anyone wants to up the amount of um, deep sleep, exercise, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of vigorous walking every day will really improve your amount of slow wave sleep 
because the body has to repair afterwards. So as you get older, exercise becomes even more critically important um, to our overall health and our sleep. But not too close to sleep time, right? Not too close to sleep time. You don't do it within three hours of going to sleep. And there's another myth that I, I want to touch on here. Um, people say as they get older, you need less sleep. You actually don't. Well into old age, the studies show that we still need around about seven to nine hours sleep. However, something changes. So when you, people retire, um, for the first few years, they're very busy, they're active all the time. And as they get that little bit older, they tend not to have as much to do. So if they're at home um, in the afternoon when we have a dip in our alertness, many people will have experienced that. They feel a bit tired in the afternoon. If you have the opportunity at you know 3 o'clock in the afternoon to have a sleep, chances are you will. And if you're not very busy, you might have a sleep that's way too long. So you end up having two hours instead of the 20-minute power nap that you might have had when you were working full-time. And that will definitely affect your sleep that night. And so you might find yourself waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning thinking, oh, I'm old now, I don't need as much sleep. But indeed, you've actually had what we call biphasic sleep because you've had a complete sleep cycle in the afternoon. So guess what? You only need six hours overnight. Right. Is there value in a catnap, Carl? I mean, on that point... Is there value in an afternoon or a midday catnap? And if there is, how do I do it so it's most effective for my performance and productivity? Yeah, look, the catnap or the power nap is really uh, important. or It's a, it's a great um, tool that we can use. So we have a natural um, rhythm of alertness um, over a 24-hour period. So on average, we have a peak of alertness around about 9 o'clock in the morning and one about 9 o'clock at night. It's pretty average time, so it depends on mm. what sort of you're an hour. But we have a dip in alertness around about 3 o'clock and then again over the sustained nighttime hour. Um, so if, if around about 3 or 4 o'clock you're feeling like you're not being very productive with your work, you set an alarm for 20 minutes and lay down. You know, you can. I know some sleep researchers actually don their pajamas, get into bed, but you know, often we're not inspired <laughs> to do that. So, if you're in the office and you've got a place to go, um, yeah, just lay down for 20 minutes, have a set the alarm, and definitely get up after 20 minutes. Now, the effect of that is we, while we're awake, we produce this sleepy chemical called adenosine. Now, adenosine, the more of this in the brain, the tighter the brain feels and the more sleepy it becomes. If we have excessive amounts of this, this is when we'll have a micro-sleep, right? This one will fall asleep at the wheel of the car. So the way we decrease the amount of this sleepy chemical in the brain is to go to sleep because when we're asleep, the brain actively degrades adenosine and it doesn't produce any of it. So when we wake up 20 minutes later, we've really reduced the amount of adenosine in our brain. So we feel very refreshed thinking-wise and uh, we're ready to be quite productive for the next four hours. And this is certainly a hint I give to my senior high school students um, when they come home from school. Instead of, you know, mucking around for two or three hours trying to get yourself organised, have a, have a power nap for 20 minutes and you'll be ready to go for the next four hours. Why is it? What's the difference between the 20-minute nap? Because that's my experience is that you wake up feeling great if you do have a 20-minute a, a nap. But there are times, like you say, when like you're on holidays or something and you have an hour and a half nap of an afternoon or whatever and you wake up and you actually feel groggy. For a while? What's the difference between those two sleeps? Well, the reason, unfortunately, is that you sink into what we call deep sleep. Mm. So um, what happens as adults when we go to sleep, we go through light sleep, stage one and two, which takes about 20, 25 minutes, and then we descend into deep sleep. Mm. Now, once we're in deep sleep, um, if we wake up from that, we feel very disoriented. And we don't know where we are, what day it is, whether we need to get up to go to work or, or go back to, you know, have lunch or whatever. Um, and we will have what we call sleep inertia if we wake up from slow wave sleep. And sleep inertia sometimes takes us quite a while to arouse from probably you know, up to one or two hours. And in fact, many people, if they wake up from um, slow wave sleep in the afternoon, find it quite difficult to get their head back into order for, you know, number of hours. So you want to make sure you restrict it just to that light sleep and not sink into your deep sleep. Campbell, you've said that men are from Mars <laughs> and women sleep differently to men. Is that true? Uh, does it matter? And if it does, 
what should we do about it? What should we know about it? I don't know whether you've seen any of my lectures on that point. <laughs> but it's basically <laughs> to do with um, particular pathology. So women, actually, from puberty onwards, require more sleep than men, but will struggle to get it. By the time women are around about 50, about one in two women will be having trouble with sleeping. Right? So it's a huge statistic. Now, um, one of the reasons, um, we don't know why they require more sleep. It might be because the body is always in preparation uh, for, 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 for pregnancy and so they mm. thought they need more. Um, but the fact of the matter is they will struggle to get it. And mm. often around the time of um, the menstrual cycle really can create quite huge issues for young women in regards to premenstrual um, syndrome because if they're not, they actually need more sleep in the second half of their cycle, women. Um, and most women don't know that. They don't realise that. And if they don't get more sleep, they become more irritable. They become more foggy and more disorganised only because that's the, that's the fact of sleep deprivation. It's got nothing to do with hormones. And in fact, by the time um, it comes to the earlier part of their cycle, they've sort of really struggled. So women need to recognise, the young women need to recognise in the second half of their cycle, they do need more sleep and to prioritise it. But I often talk about men are from Mars and women from Venus in regard to sleep apnea mm. because uh, we have a very different profile. And believe it or not, women, um, women's airways are very different to men because men go through puberty and their voice becomes very deep. So... <laughs> do that very well, Carmel. <laughs> That's very good. I thought that was Robert cutting it again. <laughs> <laughs> and so, of course, the, the male airway uh, is uh, more vulnerable to collapse than the female airway. Um, and so, from an earlier age, men are more likely to get sleep apnea. But on, when women hit menopause, um, they lose the protection of their sexual hormones because estrogen and progesterone are also very protective of collapse of the upper airway. So when women hit menopause, um, their incidence of sleep apnea triples. And most, a lot of women don't recognise that they have a much greater uh, vulnerability to development of sleep apnea around about the age of 50, 55. And hmm. so if women are finding they're having trouble with sleep, if they're sleeping eight, nine, ten hours and still feeling exhausted, they need to speak to their doctor about the possibility of having developed a sleep disorder. Carmel, this, we interviewed a lady called uh, Jackie Fury, who's a psychoanalyst, who is a great friend of the Mojo radio show, and she quite often talks about stress and anxiety and the effect it can have from the bedroom to the boardroom. Lack of sleep, from what we've heard in this discussion, obviously can have a massive effect from the boardroom and performance and clarity of thought and productivity. Does it affect the bedroom oh, absolutely. In, terms of, in, so, in terms of our relationships yeah. and our activities? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, look, we can talk about um, just a moment sleep apnea again. Um, we know that if um, men have sleep undiagnosed and untreated sleep apnea, they're much more likely to be impotent. And with treatment, um, there's about 75% of men will experience an improvement in that. Similar studies haven't really been done in women, but we do know that their libido is, if untreated sleep apnea, their libido is lower. But more importantly, as a study just done uh, more generally, though, um, a study just released, I think, earlier this year, that showed uh, when women were sleep deprived, they're much less likely to want to have sex and um, improve their sleep and you improve the likelihood of sex. So there's some great stuff about that. Yeah, so all those men listening and your wife not getting enough sleep, encourage her to get the sleep that she needs. <laughs> I, I, was gonna, I was actually going to suggest that there may not be, a, there actually may not be any sort of investigation needed into this into women having sleep in their libido because I'm sure every male out there who's had a, had a couple of children with his wife will testify that, you know, when there's a new baby in the house, there's not much else going on in the bedroom. Well, absolutely. But you think, like, if we take it away from sex for a moment, if you think about if when you're sleep deprived, how much do you feel like going out to exercise? Mm. Mm. All you want to do is sleep. That's you right. think, oh, I couldn't care less about yeah. the exercise I was going to do. I just want to go to sleep. Yeah. And sleep becomes an overwhelming need. 
And you only have to look at the sleepy driver who falls asleep at the wheel. The, the overwhelming need for sleep is really fundamental because mm. it's so critical for our health. Come on, I've got a very fundamental... Based on that, I've got a fundamental question. So we start at the end. We can let you go in a second. But before we do, I want to start at the front. Qualify for me what a good night's sleep is. How do I know I've had a good night's sleep? If I want more action in the bedroom, I want my wife to get a good night's sleep. What is that? Like, how do I qualify specifically what a good night's sleep is? Well, I think it, it, you know it yourself. Right? So the idea of sleep is that it refreshes and restores you to the point that when you wake up in the morning, you're able, you wake up feeling pretty good. You wake up feeling not, maybe not very refreshed, but you wake up feeling refreshed and prepared to meet the challenges and joys of the day. Now, that's what sleep is meant to do. If you find that day after day you're not able to do that, then probably sleep is the culprit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you need to know what you are able to achieve and do. So all of us, or most of us, have experienced the ability, you know, the, the great, the fun ability of getting through every day and feeling great. We normally do it on holidays, don't we? And we're getting mm-hmm. to sleep we very quickly people come back from holidays and feel, you know, within about a week or so, they think, oh, I don't know what's happened to me. I don't feel as motivated as I was. I'm not as energized. Uh, all those promises I made up to myself on holidays have gone by the by. Yeah, yeah. Much of investigation to say, well, okay, how much were you sleeping on holidays and how much are you sleeping now? Carmel, do you, um, do you personally journal? Um, look, sometimes I do, but... Um, no, I only do it in times of um, when I have a, a lot of work or stress on and I think, okay, I need to do that. <clears throat> I need to do something now because yeah. otherwise it will interfere with my sleep. We spoke recently to Tom Cronin, who is a meditation mindfulness expert, and, and he was fantastic on the show. And he spoke about journaling and does a lot of gratitude journaling. And majority of people who do that do it in the morning. I've got a theory that if you did gratitude journaling at night, as one of the final things you did before you put your head down and you were writing down two, three, four things you were grateful for, things that were good in your life. With science in mind, is there any validity to doing it at night time to create a mindful sleep based on positive things and focusing on the good in your life? Is there any science that would back that up or am I on the complete wrong tangent? No, I think you're absolutely right and I'm not across the research but I can tell you the processes that happen. So when we think good thoughts, good thoughts produce nice good hormones and they produce something called serotonin that makes us feel good, that's a feel good hormone. Now serotonin is a precursor to melatonin and melatonin is the thing that actually helps us go to sleep. It helps us go to sleep and stay asleep. If we don't have enough melatonin in our system, we'll have trouble initiating sleep and certainly have trouble maintaining sleep. So serotonin is our feel-good hormone. And when we have um, thoughts of gratefulness or joy or anything, any of those positive emotions will make us feel good because it will produce our serotonin and that has a direct feed-on effect to our ability to produce melatonin. So, yeah, you're right. We should be doing it at night. But sometimes um, we need to be aware too that if we are going through a particularly traumatic period, um, sometimes it's very hard and we set the bar too high. Yeah, These people yeah. have a lot to be feeling grateful for at that time and that's just another way of reminding them <laughs> that really at this moment in time they don't feel very grateful at all. So sometimes we have to be a bit careful of what sort of structures we put up and, and suggest to people. Carmel, quick question for you. If, I, if I've been listening to this podcast now for the last half hour, however long we've been going and sort of realise that there is something wrong with my sleep and has been for a while. I mean, obviously my first port of call is the GP, but if his, if his, um, if his remedy is to shove me full of sleeping pills and send me home, where else can I turn to, um, to, to get some help with my sleep? Look, I, I think GPs are becoming, I mean, GPs are, are fairly overworked and under-resourced, don't they? So mm. sleep can be quite a complex matter Mm. but they are getting better much much better at recognizing those sorts of issues um i'm not meaning to self-promote but i have published a book complete guide to a good night's sleep which is available at the local library so you could just pick that up and understand just sort of the stepwise process of how to get a good night's sleep if you haven't had a good night's sleep and certainly um it's it's a self it's the idea is to have a self journey take yourself through it Mm. um 
and see if you can, because sleep is such an individual thing, you know, like... You have to get yourself off to sleep, don't you? No one else can do that for you. No, that's right. It's a yeah. It's probably the only thing you can really do by yourself, isn't it? Or you have that's to right. have to do by yourself, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any daily rituals that you go through which are non-negotiables for you, apart from getting a good night's sleep? Are there any rituals that that Dr. Carmel Harrington goes through that is a non-negotiable must do as part of your day? Um. Well, sleep is, as I say, I really enjoy. I have about 15 minutes every evening that's just mine <laughs> that I can't, I really would find very difficult to live without. So I spend 15 minutes just on my own. It's very busy uh, in my household. So getting that 15 minutes is, um, you know, fantastic. And it's not every day, but I love my running and mm. uh, I hate giving that up. Uh, I do sometimes, but I just don't like giving it up. I feel great afterwards so they're the things great well this has been a real treat now uh where can people find out more about this terrific work you're doing carmel where where do we go to um well i have a website which is called sleep for health but i am working fairly with um sylvia's group the i4 group which has this fantastic model of neuroleadership and it's wonderful like so often you know when i started in sleep 20 years ago very few people sort of thought about sleep. They'd say to me, what are you researching again? You're researching sleep. You know, that was sort of really fast, you know, completely taken unawares. But um, over the last few years, sort of the people at the front of their game, you know, those really innovative people, mm. Mm. Uh, have actually recognised the importance of sleep and um, Sylvia is one of them and the I4 model, with, which uses the brain. But anyway, Sleep for Health and um, the I4 neuroleadership website would be you'd see more of me there and i will put both those links in the show notes for everybody the i4 live event with sylvia which uh dr carmel harrington is going to be there and i believe you're talking on the critical link between sleep health performance and creativity during the latest sleep research so it's in just a couple of weeks isn't it yes, I think it is. jasper's brush near berry 24th to 27th of feb is that right i think Yes, I know it's in February sometime and I'm not 100% sure, but you've probably got the dates right there. <laughs> yeah, so I'll put, I'll put the details in the show notes. We will make sure that all the dates are right. So if you want to go and spend some time with Carmel, that would be the place to do it because Sylvia runs a fantastic – it's a little retreat. It'll be brilliant. There's some really, really cool people going to that. I think it'll be life-changing. Yes, look, I often – I um, have been giving talks just recently at different groups and – it's always very hard to think of a title of a talk. I know this is really a mundane topic, but um, I actually thought, look, the topic of the talk is sleep, the number one strategy to optimal performance. And I think that's really accurate because we're not going to get the best health or the best ability to perform without good sleep. We just won't. I reckon that about sums up our interview, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> Carmel, this has been great. I, uh, I I don't think you never hear enough about sleep and the power of it, but it's funny if you were to help somebody and say, mate, get some more sleep, they would just laugh at you and go, yeah, what else have you got? Give me a give yeah. me a, a hack, give me a biohack, give me a, a another tool, give me something I haven't heard of before, give me a tablet, give me a potion. Uh, but I think the science you put behind this, the rigour, really is so compelling that um, – you know, it's just, uh, it's a mandatory, isn't it? It is. And I think that's what will convince people, the science. Mm. And while, while you can make science very complicated, there's always a bottom line in science that everyone understands. Yeah. And I think it's quite simple. And and also, so often people say to me, well, everything you say just makes sense, Carmel. It's not rocket science. I say, no, it's not. But we now have the rocket science to, to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> and often it's just what our mothers or grandmothers used to say to us, you know. Yeah. Well, Carmel, we won't hold you up any longer. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a real treat um, meeting with you on the show and look forward to seeing you in February at uh, Sylvia Damiano's I4 live event. Fantastic. And thank you so much. I'm looking forward to meeting you there as well. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. So from one extreme to the other, from sleeping to akadaka. Is that right? <laughs> well, it's not exactly akadaka. It's more in, it's more indie music or independent yes. artists, I think. But Absolutely. We, yep. had a, uh, we had an email from one of our listeners who goes by the name of Habib, and mm. he alerted us to a story, which we actually spoke about this some weeks back in the Mojo Radio Show news, a new 
online service called Monify, which is giving independent artists a voice online. It's a a music subscription service for independent artists. And as promised at that time, we said we would get the founder on the show to get the full story behind Monify. So, Susan Jeske, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you so much. This is such a pleasure to be here. Now, we had a listener approach us a couple of weeks ago, Susan, and tell us all about Munify and mm-hmm. say that we should get in touch with you. We spoke briefly and promoted it on a recent show and we thought we'd get in touch with you so that you could tell us in your own words some of the background behind the brand. Can you just give us a brief description? Like what specifically in your mind, what are you creating? What is Munify? Okay. Um, well, Munify is a music streaming site whose main goal is to use music for the benefit of humanity um, and support indie artists to get their music out there and have a a way to make a living. Um, I feel that um, music has is more or less hijacked by major corporations who dictate to us what... um, what music we should listen to, what's the best music in the world. And um, because music is universal and is such a positive force across all cultures, I, I want to bring it back to basics. I want to bring it, I want to use it for, for good. And I want to um, just extend the reach um, across millions of musicians that are never really heard of, even though they are absolutely magnificent. All great ideas today come generally when you solve your own problem. Has Munify come about because it's a problem you personally have got that you can solve for yourself and you think others will like? Um, yes, that's that's a very, very good question. And uh, Because I've worked in the music industry in one way or another for the past 20 years, I've been always highly conscious, conscious of the fact that um, indie artists have trouble getting getting um, uh, getting heard, um, have trouble getting paid properly when heard um, via major major streaming sites or any other medium. Um, but but over and above that, I, I've been what what's really <laughs> bothered me is that. Um, music is controlled by major corporations and it doesn't give the opportunity for uh, music to be used as a force for good. Um, it's a, it, it's purely a, a profit motive. Um, and this is why I, so in a sense, yes, it's, it's solving a problem in that it's helping indie artists as well as taking music back into a form of uh, communal ownership by us, the people. Mm. Um, so um, hence I came up with um, Munify and the idea of charging a very low fee to, be, to, to, to become a member and upfront saying, look, Let's give 50% of our revenue to charity and to music organizations because that way everyone's contributing um, and um, many, many more musicians can be out there and supported and heard. One of the challenges that I find is when someone's starting a new business, the question always comes up about what am I going to call it? Mm-hmm. How did you how did you go about naming Munify? Where did the name come from and what process did you go through for that? Well, it, it's the main uh, driver uh, was, I guess, trying to come up with a word that in one word said what I was trying to do. Um, so it actually stands for, so Munify is short for music unifies. Um, I do understand that there's a massive uh, consideration to be taken into account when developing a brand. Um, and in that sense, there's been some, uh, some people have actually called it Moneyfy, which is quite interesting in that Moneyfy is kind of a, a different way of saying monetize, I suppose. Um, so I have been 
but but nonetheless I'm sticking with Munify because it's it, it, it says to me music unifies and that is what I was trying to achieve in one word um, so hopefully it's it's going to stick that's a great name that's good and I like the process you went through I think it's a very clever process uh, prior to us getting you on the line Susan you said that um, you're about to start a crowdfunding program talk us through how does that work like which which platform you're using how does one go about putting something up to crowdfund and what's the likely outcome you're looking for Okay, well, it's obviously quite a, a complex process, and I went through a lot of research and delving into um, all the various sites that exist out there, um, such as Kickstarter and Indiegogo and Possible, and and then I came across this um, little little site called Start Some Good. Um, it's startsomegood.com, and though these guys um, have a focus on social enterprise and and um, any social good that's being done. So I decided to go with them because primarily um, I'm trying to reach an audience who cares about social change. Um, and in my investigations, whilst those other sites may have massive databases of people um it it's my audience i chose this because there's a niche audience there of people who care about social change and um in my dealings with um start some good they've they've just really been incredibly supportive uh it's um a sort of aussie uh, started site um, and even though I think it's actually based in the US as you said earlier Robbo we're all over in the, in the world of connectivity today so uh, that was my that was my reasoning I'm interested Susan in general um, I have my own suspicions about which way the sort of in inverted commas record industry is is headed yes um, do you do you see down the track with Munify in the mix as well, where do you see 10 years down the track, where do you see, um, you know, your regular, you know, standalone record company? Do you think that, I mean, they will still have a place, but do you think they'll wield the power that they do now? Do you, in the, you know, 10 years, 15 years down the track? The major labels um, most likely will have a place for a good good long time to come. Um, these organizations are entrenched in our culture um, and people are not going to give up on billions of dollars that easily. Um, so it's this is the system within we li- within which we live and therefore I think those major organizations will, will have power for a long time to come. But because of the connectivity, the connected world within we within which we live right now, um, and the technology that has developed to enable people to uh, a connect and b to create music, uh, I, I think there's a whole new organ uh, uh, organization of people that's going to be built around alternatives to those to those corporations and of course it's already happening and so much good has been done and I'm sort of standing on the shoulders of others uh, and bringing in a a whole bunch of ideas to to come together to form Munify. So um, yeah, there are beautiful sites out there that are already doing amazing work like Patreon. in the pro, uh, bringing the process of neo patronage, um, which is um, the ability for every person to be a pain, patron of an of the arts, even for a small amount of of money, um, yeah. So I think it's 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 changing, and just like in many areas in in the world, there, there's so many so much good happening. Um, and and I want to jump on board and hopefully 
make a difference. The thing I like about about sites like yours, um, we spoke to Di Pritchard, who's the guitarist for Rose Tattoo, uh, a yes. couple of months back now, mm-hmm. and he painted this beautiful picture, which which stuck with me since we had the conversation. Was uh, he said the days of the Fat Pig record companies dictating who and what we get to listen to are, are, are you know are sort of starting to come to an end, and I really like that analogy because you know as you said there will always be a place for the big record companies there will always be you know a market for that but I love the fact that you know we're opening doors to you know these young acts who can't get in the doors of the big record companies and actually giving them an avenue to promote themselves and 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 you know down the track maybe get picked up by these big record companies because they are becoming so popular on sites like yours yeah absolutely bring it on I'm, I'm just you know I'm always amazed going out to little venues to hear bands all the time and just the quality and the um, the beauty of the music that's out there on a grassroots level is is just quite phenomenal phenomenal and the dedication of these musicians that are doing it for the pure love of it not necessarily um, you know fame being their primary goal obviously people want to succeed and people want to make they have to make a living but they're dedicating themselves for the pure love of it. So, and if I can make a platform, create a platform where people can actually make a living so that musicianship is kind of expanded as a profession because, yeah, earning $100,000 a year as a musician is wonderful. Mm. So, Susan, how, how do we get involved with Munify? So people like the idea, they're into it. You've talked about Start Some Good, the crowdfunding program that starts on December 4. Mm-hmm. How, how, where would you send people? How do we find out more about Munify? Okay, so the website's up and running and that's uh, munify.com.au. Um, we also have a Facebook page um, and um, which... Over and above that, um, yeah, we've got the crowdfunding campaign starting on Friday and that's, uh, I think I'll have to send that link to you, um, it, but it is launching on startsomegood.com, so it's pretty much about going to the site from Friday and looking up Munify and you'll see the site and hoping to get a lot of people who's out, who who will agree to sign up. We've got my 20 bucks. Thank you. <laughs> we can check you out at munify.com.au. There's a Facebook page and then we should send people to startsomegood.com and I suspect they just search for the Munify page yeah, and yeah. they can get on board with the crowdfunding program. So, um, so that's good. All right, well, it's, this, this has been a valuable uh, interview for you because you picked up 20 bucks from Robbo. That's, that's, that, that's good. That is just fantastic. Thank and you, Robbo. And he'll Robert. be at door knocking today, exchanging Tim Tams for uh, some more cash for you. So um, I, think it's been, I think it's been a worthwhile session. <laughs> well, it's been more than worthwhile So and, and very much appreciated. Susan, thank you once again. We are in awe of what you're doing. It's a noble cause and we wish you great success. We'll keep in touch. Just appreciate Appreciate it so much, guys. Thank you so much again. Not a problem. And make sure you let us know how you go. I will do. The Mojo Radio Show. I think it's a great service. I, I like people who have spotted a problem and rather mm. than just bitch and moan about it, have set about fixing it. And I think it's, um, I, I wish I wish you well. I hope it goes well for her. Yeah, I also like the other angle too. I like the fact that um, some of the, um, the control of what we get to hear is starting to be taken out of the hands of the record companies too because for so long there's been so much good music out there that's just gone by the wayside too. So I think uh, all around that is a very, very clever idea. And speaking of good music. Speaking of good music, I um, actually haven't got a lesson of rock this week. I've been on holidays. <laughs> <laughs> but we did before the holidays start a new segment called What's Got My Mojo Going. What's Got My Mojo Going this week is uh, Aretha Franklin covering Carol King's You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman at the, uh, the 38th Annual Kennedy Centre Honours in, uh, in the US. So uh, I reckon we play that out this week. Enough said.
Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.